Well, we finished all the 10? Yeah, we finished the 10 TOS and TNG movies, Clay, but now we're on to the Ooh. Kelvin movies, the Kelvin timeline. And all this really means is that it's going to make us cause, uh, give us a cause to re-edit our top 10 rankings, which have to become top 13 after this is all said and done. So oh, yeah. outside of that huge amount of work, we're on to the, the Kelvin movies. When um, I, I've, I've, seen, I've seen Star Trek 2009 before. I, I think I mm-hmm. saw it once, and I could not remember 95% of it uh, and what happened. So this is the first rewatch I've had to this movie in a very, very long time. But what about you? Uh, I have watched this a few times. I really enjoy this movie. I, I've I've owned it on DVD since it came. I actually last night uh, just bought the three of them on a on Blu-ray. Yeah, because I uh, I think this is probably the best looking Star Trek movie up to this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, watching it on standard definition on a giant TV just wasn't getting it done for oh, me. Oh, so, so. You, yeah, you bought you bought a long time ago. If you just have the standard. D, uh, DVD. You can get yeah, the Blu-rays no, I, of all I three of them it. for like five dollars on Amazon at this point. Yeah, I, I got it. I got it more or less right when it came out on DVD because I, I really, it, I this was um, uh, I when this came out, I hadn't really watched Star Trek since I was probably a kid. Uh, like I owned, I would watch Wrath of Khan and First Contact. I don't. I wouldn't say infrequently, but I it, it was in my rotation. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was the first new Star Trek content that I had seen outside of those two movies, uh, probably since I stopped watching TNG. Yeah, since Star Trek kind of died in the uh, the late '90s or mid '90s, whenever you want to yeah. say that the deathbed was. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of um, it's kind of like our uh, <clears throat> listener base here, and it's similar to the Star Wars movies in a lot of ways. Where like if you were born after a certain year, you just like the prequels, <laughs> basically. Right. Uh, and right. For a certain kind of Star Trek fan, a lot of our listeners have actually said that 2009 is the thing that got them into Star Trek, and then mm. they would go back and see that. So it is a very important dividing line that's very similar to the um, the prequels, at least, and probably more relevant, like the newest trilogy of Star Wars movies. And then and then Star Trek Into Darkness is the thing that made them go, wow, Star Trek is terrible. They <laughs> <laughs> I, I um we might have slightly inverse relationships here. You probably sound like you like this movie a lot and you hate Into Darkness. I'm probably I'm like a I'm like a lukewarm switch in the other direction on both of them. Oh, um, God. So we'll see. But let's take a break. We're going to play some music and then we'll come back and we'll break down Star Trek 2009. Accessing library computer data. Make sure history never forgets the name Enterprise. All right, so this movie is called Star Trek. It came out on May 8th, 2009, written by Roberto Orsi and Alex Kurtzman, our old uh, Star Trek Discovery showrunner, directed by J.J. Abrams in the gig that he did to get Star Wars, produced by J.J. Abrams and Damon Lindelof. So it's a lot of names of people Mm. who now control pretty much all Hollywood content at this point, 10 years later. In this movie, a cataclysm in the 24th century throws two ships back in time to the 23rd century, altering the course of history. With a different life where he never knew his father, James T. Kirk becomes a brilliant yet cynical misfit who is finally convinced to join Starfleet by Captain Christopher Pike in 2255. Three years later, Kirk, Vulcan First Officer Spock, and the young crew of the new Enterprise with guidance from Spock's future self must figure out a way to work together to prevent the one responsible for the death of Kirk's father 
the future Romulan known as Nero from destroying the Federation in a mad quest for vengeance. So judging by that, there's a lot of time travel in this episode. Clay, let's um I think the best place to start with this is the mechanics of what allows this universe to exist, really, mm-hmm. I think. That's a good place. Do you I find the time travel here to be functional, but also the more you think about it, the less it works in a lot of ways. I don't really know if that's important. And what I think that they did by changing the timeline and rebooting it in a different sort of universe from the prime universe is probably the best way to go, even though a lot of people don't really like that. But I I think that I I think this works. And it, it also the time travel aspect of this makes this movie feel to me very much like a pilot movie where they're expecting to go off after this movie ends and come off with two other movies or a new show or whatever. And um, what do you think of the time travel, I guess, is the best way to start this? What do you think of the mechanics of starting the series off in a whole new universe where you can do with whatever? Oh, I think it's great. I think I like I I would rather they do that. I, I, that, I think they found a really creative way to reboot everything and not be necessarily beholden to the uh continuity of the original um while also maintaining the continuity of the the original yeah um i think i think it's the best case scenario for what they could have done because it allows you to do so much more stuff um it gives you wiggle room that star trek discovery doesn't really have because then you you keep thinking like well then how does this fit into this if this is there and then he has to be in this place and it also adds a bit of uh, unpre- unpredictability to things. And I think they, because the problem with doing a prequel is if you're dealing with all of the things that people know, then generally there's only a set amount of things that can happen. Like there's not too much tension involved. Like yeah. if you start you know, the, your, you know the ending if it's a prequel. You know who survives yeah. and who doesn't. Whereas in this one, it starts in the it starts with the future timeline where they where Romulus gets blown up, which is a huge status quo shift, and then they go back in time and they blow up Vulcan, which is a gigantic status quo shift for this universe. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yes, yeah, and so it 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 gives it more uh, a little bit more edge, a little bit more unpredictability, and stops it from just being like a uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like a nostalgia. Yeah you know wave yeah and i think the the i'll tell you the thing i was thinking the whole time i was watching this is it's not entirely dissimilar obviously to star wars the force awakens but it's so much more daring and exciting than that movie is mm-hmm. and that's a movie that i enjoy you know i i think the character work is nice and et cetera, et cetera. but this one is like this they're not beholden to it's they're not telling a story that's like a revamp of a story that they've told before. I mean, I guess you could say like, well, you know, he's revenge, Wrath of Khan. Well, it's not really Wrath of Khan. He's just a guy who is out for revenge. Not everybody who's out for revenge is Khan. Well, yeah, I mean, it's um, just on the face of it, it's an origin story where we've never seen the origin of Kirk before. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and they're, they're, so they're telling a brand new story uh, inside the uh, the shell of an established world. Um, it doesn't feel not that we've covered solo yet, but it's not a origin story of Kirk. Like it, like solo is an origin story of solo where it's like, let's just tell you all the stuff that we already know, but expand on it. So it's kind of boring. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, the, you get to see how the character dynamics connect and everything. And I just think it's a really, uh, I thought it was a great way to reboot the franchise personally. I think, um, 
Well, before I get into sort of uh, where that was going to take me, let's let's talk a little bit specifically about the time travel aspect here. So the way that this sure. works, and you can let me know if this is wrong, is that Romulus is destroyed in the prime timeline by mm-hmm. a supernova that Spock was unable to uh, get a solution to before it destroyed the planet. So mm-hmm. this causes a miner named Nero, and a miner like a person who digs in rock, not a under eighteen year old Romulan, child, yeah. a child Romulan, a miner named Nero to uh, hunt down Spock, and both of them fall into the black hole that is Spock's creation to stop the destruction of Romulus. So they go back in time at that point. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nero comes out first, and he, going back in time, alters the timeline from that point forward. So Mm -hmm. this this is pretty much my big first kind of like technical issue or wonder about how this is supposed to happen. So are we supposed to assume that when he goes back in time, the timeline prior to him showing up is exactly the same as TOS? I would assume so, yeah. So why does the captain of the first ship of the Kelvin that he runs into not know Spock? Uh, is this is it a yesterday's Spock enterprise a- situation where once he enters it, everything changes for some reason? Well, I mean, at the, the point that he goes back, Spock would... Oh, he's be, too young, isn't he? Yeah, he would be a child. He wouldn't even have been born yet. Oh, I guess that's a good point. So, so I guess ignoring that, is, is it, it is TOS's universe at that point. Before Nero shows up, it's like the same history on both timelines? Yes, I believe so, yeah. Okay. So then Nero goes back in time, and he has to wait 25 years because Kirk has to grow up for the movie. Otherwise, it mm-hmm. won't work. So he has to mm-hmm. sit around for 25 years, and then Spock comes through the black hole. He captures Spock, and then he blows up Vulcan, and then uh, mm-hmm. Nero wants to blow up all the other Federation planets. So, I, I, guess the, I guess that the time travel thing pretty much works for me. I guess my biggest problem about whether or not the TOS timeline is intact or not kind of ties into what I think is maybe maybe my weirdest thing about the movie is that by trying to change things up and straddle the past of what everybody knows, the movie kind of sits in an uncomfortable middle position for me a lot of the time where... It's Into Darkness is going to have a bigger problem with this, but this movie is playing with the fact that you know who all the characters are before you're introduced to them. So you have sort of introductions, which are winks at the camera that you know who Sulu is, you know, you know who the Asian helmsman is, you know who the Russian uh, other guy is, you know, that's Chekhov and stuff like that. So while it's rebooting and it's kind of resetting and reintroducing you to everybody, you still kind of know these characters at core and so that leaves you in this kind of a weird spot where for me the movie feels very much like a pilot where it's setting all of this up but in and of itself i'm not sure i'm particularly enamored with what's going on in the movie outside of itself Mm -hmm. does that make any sense yeah Yeah, i mean i would i would counter that by saying i don't i don't feel like it's in it's really that winky as far as establishing the characters because i feel like you could watch this movie not knowing anything about star trek and come away knowing who all the characters are and i don't think it works i don't think it's it's i think the uh the the winkiest part about it is probably when uh when mccoy says uh, all she left me is my bones yeah, yeah and that's obviously where the nickname comes from but aside from that it's like i don't know i don't really find it that much different than any other way you would establish a bunch of characters on a sh- on a ship you know who are you i'm with, with me we are traveling at warp speed how did you manage to beam aboard this ship? You're the genius, you figure it out. As acting captain of this vessel, I order you to answer the question. Well, I'm not telling, acting captain. What did... 
Well, no, that doesn't frustrate you, does it? My lack of cooperation. That that doesn't make you angry. Are you a member of Starfleet? I, um, yes. Can I get a towel? Under penalty of court-martial, I order you to explain to me how you were able to beam aboard this ship while moving at warp. Well, don't answer him. You will answer me. I feel there's a lot of... I feel there's a lot of scenes, especially Sulu and Chekhov. It's a lot of turn in your swivel chair, face the camera, and then say your full name to the camera. You know, like it's a... Um, I, I just feel that they're you're playing off of that establishment, and they, sure. the, the way that they introduce themselves is built on the fact that you're supposed to know who they are. So saying their whole name is kind of a a revelation for it. And I think because they do that, they actually don't have a lot of time to like the the movie feels to me very much of an introduction, and in that they're not really even all that super concerned about the cataclysmic threat in a lot of ways like i I think nero is potentially one of the worst villains in all the star trek movies interesting oh he's 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 terrible i mean his uh this i i liken this movie to the avengers more or less in the way that it's set up in that your villain is uh fairly light as far as uh or i should say thin yeah as far as uh, motivation and what his plot is, et cetera, et cetera. Because but I, I'd just say Nero's, him- Nero's like set up. It, it, the, the Avengers is more generically set up. I just feel that Nero has like so much to him that they don't expand when they could at the same time. Right. But I think they, they just kind of place him in there as this looming threat as an excuse to spend time with these characters and watch the team get together, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bad performance you know, like from Banna too. I don't like it's it. It's really I, weird. Yeah. It is a weird performance. It's not. Um, Hello, Christopher. My name's yeah. Nero. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of enjoy that stuff. Uh, I kind of enjoy that stuff because it's so weird and so different and does not feel like a Star Trek villain. He's also not a um, Romulan captain. He's just a Romulan guy, basically. Yeah, he's just a dude. Yeah. Uh, but like at the same time, there is something really weird about the fact that uh, when. Spock, Spock's ship comes out of the, the 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 time vortex or black hole or whatever. They like do a hard cut to the Romulan ship, and everybody's just like laying around, mm-hmm. and like they just they've just been doing nothing for twenty five years. Yeah, yeah, um, how, which is kind of weird. Do they mention how they've evaded things, or are they just hanging out and no one finds them? Or something? I I thought on this watch that maybe uh, what. George Kirk does at the beginning when he flies the ship into their ship, damages their ship, so they're sort of like drifting in space or mm-hmm. something. But that would then take them away from the, the point of exit so they couldn't catch Spock. But it, I just assumed that there was something busted on their ship that they couldn't fly anywhere else. But I guess the point of their mission is to hang around until Spock shows up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's funny that they, they're Romulans from the future, but they never bring up the cloaking device you'd imagine they'd be able to cloak and just kind of hang out for yeah a long does time. a mining ship really need a cloaking device yeah it seems it seems easy enough to stick on all the ships and i i mean getting back to his his ship the thing that i do like about him is that he's this super advanced ship that's really just like a perfunctory mining ship of the, the yeah. present day but when it goes back yeah. in time it's like overpowered for everything else yeah I, li- I like his ship a lot i like the design of it it's this weird like stabby claw looking thing it's yeah. very different not not a, a, a kind of ship you generally see in star trek like a squid uh, very aggressive yeah especially when it's coming out of the hole there it looks yep. like you know yeah it's very cool yeah he's um yeah nero's um 
I, I wish there was more De Niro, and I'm not crazy about the performance. I don't like the way he really he alternates between good and bad, really. And how he did the mm-hmm. thing about introducing himself, where he says "Hello, Christopher. My name's Nero," is probably like the worst line delivery in the entire <laughs> thing. I, I don't really understand it. But he's, um, yeah. I mean his his plot to get Spock is. I suppose fine it, it, for how important and how like vital and how devastating his attack would actually be. He doesn't have that much of a megalomaniacal approach to things. Like he doesn't have u- ultimate goals outside of just getting vengeance on people, which is fine. And there's nothing really wrong with that, but he's, I would, you you would expect maybe just, I guess he's had 25 years to think about it, but you'd expect a little bit more of him talking about the prime universe. Although I'd, I'd imagine they don't want to get into that. He seems unsurprised by the situation that he finds himself in when he goes back in time. And I guess he's got those years to think about it, but he, he's really just lashing out at any Spock and any Spock will do, I guess is his motivation at a certain point. Yeah, more or less. I, I think there's a, um, he doesn't, exp- he doesn't have any like, uh, gratuitous knowledge of time, of how time travel would work, you know? So it's not like, uh, I, like the closest he gets is I, I don't think he even realizes that he's created a new timeline. Uh, I think the closest that he gets to acknowledging that that stuff is going to be different is when he's choking out Kirk at the end. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I've read your file. I don't know why he would have read his file, but I guess, you know, why not? Reviewed his um, history. Yeah. It had a lot to do in 25 years, I guess. Yes. obviously. Um, <laughs> and he's like, uh, yeah, but y- you were destined to be the captain of the enterprise but that's going to change because i'm going to kill you or whatever like that's the closest he comes really to talking about the change in the timeline and he's not really concerned with it and it doesn't really bother me because it he kind of has the one thing that he's into and he's doing it irrespective of of what his uh the consequences of his actions are yeah um i don't think i need a scene with Nero where he's like debating the difference in timelines or something yeah yeah and the movie obviously wants to make you forget about the prime timeline, even though they include. Well, they, I mean, Spock. They, they, yeah, they talk about. I don't. I actually don't think that they are trying to get you to forget about it. I think they're just trying. They because they talk about it about the split enough to establish what's going on. Yeah, um, I guess and, they want they want you focusing on this new cast as opposed yes. to Spock's universe. Yeah, they kind of they kind of lean into the fact that oh, things have changed now. Uh, things are going to be different. Um, I don't think they're necessarily trying to ignore what's come before. I mean, if they were, Spock wouldn't be in the movie. Right. Yeah. Do you think things are uh, significantly different enough in this universe? Um, are they interestingly I different? I think so. I think it's different enough that it gives you a lot of options as to what you could do. But this, I think they managed to thread the needle quite well as far as changing things up, but keeping them the same to the point where uh, it's not. it doesn't seem alien to Star Trek fans. Yeah. Know? I think, it's, I think not like, it's, it's not like Kirk is uh, is the son of a you know a, a Fortune five hundred guy who or, you know something something weird some weird shit like that or this yeah. time Kirk is from Mars or whatever he's very a very reserved asexual figure who does, yeah. has no interest in yeah. anything I think they do um I think they do a gamut I think McCoy is basically McCoy from TOS. Uh, I love Carl Urban's performance because everybody else, everybody else is kind of doing like, all right, I see what's going on. I see what this character in the the acting style is. I'm going to try and adapt 
but not do exactly the same thing. And Carl Urban is just like, I'm just going to do an impression of DeForest Kelly. Yeah, yeah. Even gets his. And cadence I think he's down. pretty good yeah. at it. Like the the he got yeah he got the cadence down perfectly. Like when the first scene when he comes in and he's talking about uh and he's like and then you go and your skin will boil and that kind of thing. Yeah, he's yeah. very good at it. Good, right emphasis on the right words when he's saying yeah. the syntax. I think um Kirk is kind of. I find Kirk actually to be the least interesting of all of them, uh, mm. even though Bones doesn't have a lot, have a lot to do in this new one. Uh, nothing important anyway. Spock is probably the biggest change out of all the characters, where they're they're just pl- they're playing up the emotional aspect, and I I think I think I really like what they are choosing to do with the Vulcans here. I think to a point. Um, they seem. I, I really like Sarek. That in no matter what universe, Sarek is an asshole. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you. Uh, you have a you have a much much uh, better hand, handle on what Sarek the character is than I do. And I, I was going to ask you how you like this Sarek. I think he's good. I think the opening scene where he um he says the, the only logical thing to do was to marry your mother. It's a very mm. good cold Sarek line. I think yeah. to have yeah. there. I think he warms up a little bit too much. There's the scene before Spock beams off at the end where he and Spock have a heart-to-heart about it that I don't think is really necessary. Yeah. Um, but I generally like Sarek in this, and I, I, I think that the, the Vulcans are generally good, although I think that while Spock makes sense to be overly emotional, I find all of the High Council Vulcans to be fairly petty and borderline emotional a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I really like that. I know they're trying to do it for drama, but I do like the fact that they're playing up Spock as basically a character who now is no longer the fully in control character that you had in TOS to a point. But he is he's more just like barely containing his anger a lot of the movie. Yeah. Well, I, I like that. I like that there's a that he has a, you know, they kind of went and they look back at his concept which is he's half vulcan half human vulcans are very logical and emotionless and humans are prone to you know emotional swings and they 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 make that a a, a struggle for him which mm-hmm. i i think is i think is a nice change especially especially in this version where you're kind of sidestepping spock being a secondary character for for like three seasons yep you know like on the tv show it's 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 kirk spock and mccoy but they all kind of it's Kirk, and then Spock is kind of there doing his thing, and McCoy's kind of there doing his thing. And uh, Spock doesn't get a ton of room for growth in the show. Uh, they don't really get into him until they get into the movies, and they kind of you know push him to the forefront a bit. Um, so it's, it's nice with a recontextualizing of him and his place that they can kind of get into that stuff a little bit sooner. Yeah, he's got a secret romance on the side that no one can know about. Or maybe it's Which, not secret, honestly, but... I think they played that. I think they played that great. Uh, they I, watching it this time. I couldn't remember exactly when they let you in on the fact that those two are an item. Mm-hmm. And the scenes leading up to the fe- the point where they they show you when because she's like you know comforting him because Vulcan just exploded. Uh, I thought they play it really well, where it's. It seems like they're just they just know each other really well, and you just assume you don't assume that they're together because Spock is fairly asexual. Yep. Yeah. The first the first scene that hints at it is when she gets assigned to the Farragut, and she says, "No, I'm going yeah. on the Enterprise." And has I should changed. say, he's fairly asexual, except in this universe. Where at the end, Prime Spock is like, "You know what? Why don't you stay in the Enterprise? I got to go bone down and rebuild the species." <laughs> <laughs> Prime Spock just stuck hanging out. Yeah, 
I I think Spock um I do like the Spock thing. I I I'm not crazy about the point in the movie where Kirk has to make Spock angry to reveal that like he's been emotionally compromised or whatever, but mm-hmm. I, I think it makes sense, but it's um there there's a there's an aspect to the movie's plotting there where I'm never I'm never quite sure it feels of a piece with like the story as a whole that they're trying to say. It feels like it's really just yeah. a like key to unlock this door and to show something about Spock you're going to do this to him. Um mm-hmm. and then him just resign like sort of being like, Yes, I've been emotionally compromised, I'm gonna step away now and not do this and stuff like that. I, I feel that maybe Spock is fairly underpowered in this movie in some ways, where he's he's played up as one of the two main characters because he has an introduction right after Kirk does, but he never really there's no there's no there's no i guess if you were watching this as a someone familiar with the tos uh, original films and uh, series you'd probably expect a little bit more conflict between the two of them interestingly and i i I feel they smooth over that pretty quickly in this movie like they're they're at odds but they're not their their differences are not really like the driving conflict between the movie in a way that you would expect sure. they get along pretty easily outside of some bickering with each other very mccoy and spock bickering between kirk and uh, spock yeah i i guess i think once kirk makes it back onto the ship and emotionally compromises spock things smooth out pretty easily but before that i feel like they're they're fairly well at odds for the amount of time that they have to spend together on on screen um, at the point where where Kirk takes over, you kind of have to at, have them more or less on the same page at that yep. point in the story. I think I have I have less of a problem with the emotionally compromising scene than I do with the fact that Spock just puts him into a uh, an escape pod and jettisons him onto a, a planet. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. really weird. That whole that whole sequence <laughs> I I think is really strange, and that's a very a very J.J. Abrams sequence where it's like they just came off of this massive battle scene and then uh, Kirk gets, you know, marooned on a on a, a desolate planet. So instead of like slowing it down and having him walk and just kind of like get get to the next point naturally, there has to be two, not one giant monster that chases him down, but a giant monster who's then eaten by a bigger monster. Star Wars. Who chase... Yeah, who then chase? Uh, I wouldn't even call that Star Wars. That's that's specifically J.J. Abrams' thing because he does the same thing in the Force Awakens. Uh, uh, yeah, the prequels do it. They in the underwater sequences. Oh, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, and um, uh, doesn't a big thing eat them in Empire? Doesn't a big thing come out of the tunnel and eat the little? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. It is it is fairly Star Warsy. Um, but it's it's the kind of thing where it's like it's a really unnecessary. He loves the unnecessary monster chase. Yeah. And especially one that doesn't make a ton of sense, because that thing should be able to kill Kirk fairly quickly. Yeah, he, um, <laughs> he's not running that fast to the point no. <laughs> where you'd find and it believable. The, the only reason it's there is to get him from from the ship to Spock. Yeah, and I feel like I feel like they could have dialed it down and like let it breathe a little bit at that point. It doesn't have to be you know high on action the entire time. But yeah, and that, that planet is apparently right next door to Vulcan too, because you can yeah. stand on it and watch Vulcan be destroyed like it's a moon, which is really convenient, I guess. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's. Yeah, I guess it makes more sense for Nero to put Spock there because he wants him to be able to see this and feel the pain or whatever that he's experienced uh, himself. Yeah, I don't know why he doesn't just. I don't know why he doesn't keep him on the ship. I I mean, obviously you need him on the planet so Kirk can meet him. Yeah. But like, theoretically, it would be like, 
in Star Wars where the where Tarkin is like, "Look out this bay window here and watch your planet get blown up." Yeah, yeah, and then Kirk meets him when he's captured by Nero and put into the same cell block or something, and Spock is just in there. Um, yeah, something like that. I don't know. Yeah, it's. But then they don't. They couldn't meet Scotty if you do, if you do that. So. Yeah, that's that's the other. The Scotty comes in pretty pretty late into it, yeah. which is which is interesting that they throw him in. I do like his little goofball. Uh, Star Wars esque character as like his yes. like co engineer yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um Yeah, I I think that they I, I, I think I do like generally all of the characters in this. I think Spock is pretty good. I think the Bones performance is fine. I think um Peg as Scotty is a pretty he's probably my favorite comedy across the entire mm. thing. People say that this is a successful comedic uh take on things or at least that it's a funny movie i i think it's like an appropriately star warsy fun or star trekky funny movie mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't i don't think it's like knee slapping or anything like that but a, a couple of the jokes are okay but most of them are just like little buttons on scenes that move you into the next spot and they're not offensive or anything but i, I wouldn't say that this uh franchise or this take on the franchise really excels in any kind of comedy stuff no i i actually think it's a little too silly in spots hmm um you like the, like the the scene where they're all in their underwear <laughs> the uh where kirk's having sex with the the green lady and then uhura comes in and gets naked for no reason then everyone's in their underwear just oh, running she's around. changing her clothes she's been out at uh, listening to klingon shit all night <laughs> was your uh, roommate ever laying on the bed seductively like that maybe it's maybe it's I, not uh well i never had a <laughs> sexy green alien roommate uh i like that that was that didn't really bother me the uh the the in the Injecting him with the virus thing, the vaccine thing, is a little bit probably over too silly. Yeah, uh, especially when his hands start blowing up. Repeatedly injecting him with things. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. and I think my, my least favorite thing. Well, I'll, I'll get to my least favorite thing in the movie. But as far as like comedy beats, I think the Kobayashi Maru sequence is way too silly. The apple like, is a little bit over yeah, the top. I don't. I I when I envisioned Kirk cheating by rewiring the test i never imagined him like being so open about it right you know i, I imagine i imagine there was a little bit more uh um uh espionage involved than him just like sitting down and reading a book while the thing just fixes it you know what i mean yeah it's, as there's a hard reboot and everyone goes what happens and then everything is fine at that point yeah on. Yeah. yeah and it's like it, they should know it and and the guy turns to spock and he's like how did he beat your test and he's like i don't know yeah. he clearly he clearly <laughs> cheated <You're right>. <laughs> like there's there's no like if and or but about it i wish they had done a, something a little bit more less jokey and a little bit more uh 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 uh, espionage or something. I don't know. I know they were. I know they were trying to spin it to make the Kobayashi Maru mean something different in this different timeline. Mm-hmm. I, I think it. Me- I think what it means in the prime timeline is much more interesting and too, true to form than what it means here, where they're like they're going to like court martial him over this cheating or something. Like the 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 Kobayashi Maru is like a test of like captaincy. I feel like any timeline that they're in Star Trek, like no matter what the timeline is, I feel like the senior people who are giving the test would respect the fact that someone did that to the test like that mm. that that feels like it's a it, it feels like that's an important understanding or a way to gauge someone's character in a way that just having them run through the ringer and not win and i know spock here is like because i think the reason it doesn't work in the kelvin universe is because spock is like 
this is about learning what sacrifice is like. Like you have to feel the punishment. But if that's the case, no one feels that in a simulation. So right. why why does that matter? The the other original prime line take on it is much more interesting where Kirk is willing to do anything to to rig the game for in his favor. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a matter of just like the the drama that they have to generate for the movie cuz you need to you need to put it's the first collision course you have between Spock and Kirk. Yeah. Um and you know that's that's the court martial scene with Tyler Perry for some reason. Was that Tyler Perry? Uh, yeah, it's Tyler Perry. <laughs> um I actually like that scene. I I completely know what you're saying, but I do I do like the the way that they they have them butt heads about it. Yep. Um but yeah, I would agree with you generally. I think I think it's more it's more uh interesting the way that they use it in uh Wrath of Khan than the way that they use it here. Yeah, I mean, I guess that you're I guess they're kind of playing up like the chaos versus order aspect of Spock and Kirk in that court martial scene where Spock is very much like this is the rules of the game you have to play right. and Kirk's not yeah. doing that or anything. But yeah. I I don't it, it goes back to my point of they don't really interact tr- like they you know, Pike is there present for a lot of mediating between the two of them. Yeah. So you yeah. don't get a lot of just the back and forth of Spock explaining why the rules are important in this way. And then Kirk realizing that he has to, the way that he beats over Spock uh, by emotionally compromising him is to kind of cheat a little bit. Like he brings up kind mm-hmm. of unfair things that you're, you're not really supposed to bring up in turn of conversation. And I right. guess it links there to show that that's how he's going to compromise Spock and show everything. But it, it, um, I don't know. It, it it doesn't work with me the same way that I think it works in the original timeline. Yeah, I think again, I think it's a it's the the way in which they're using it is just different. Um, I it is it is funny how I think a different movie would kind of take this and go more like buddy cop with because you're saying like they don't spend a, a ton of time together butting heads. Uh, and I think that's just because there's so many characters you have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, Sulu um, going down with Spock is an interesting thing that you wouldn't expect. You you would expect well, uh, Spock would go down with Sulu onto the uh, the digging drill scene. You mean uh, you mean Sulu going down with Kirk? Sulu going down. Sorry, Sulu yeah. would be replaced by Spock in that sequence. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But in a different movie, I think they might go a little bit more buddy cop. Where after the court martial, you know, you bring your two arguing cops together into the chief's room, and he goes, "You know what?" You two, you're partners now. And they're like, what? Yeah. We got budget but cuts, gentlemen. <laughs> we, yeah. only got, we got only got office space. I suggest uh, you two work it out because you're working together. Yeah. Yeah. Chief, you can't do that. <laughs> this guy's a maniac. <laughs> they bump uh, shoulders walking walking out past each other yeah. into the thing. Yeah. Yes. I, I, you mentioned um, the winky. What was your winkiest thing that you brought up in this movie? I can't remember. You mentioned that something was uh, the most obvious wink. Bones, bones saying the bones thing but even that it's like it's winky but i like it because it's i it's that's something that i've never really thought about and they kind of give you an interesting uh ba- backstory to it that's just like one quick line and yeah. i thought it worked pretty well it, it, it's it, a lot, I, I i i found myself thinking about solo quite a bit while i was watching this and again i was just thinking about how this handles that stuff much better than solo does where you have McCoy introduced you kind of give a sense of his character and then he says that line that turns into what his nickname is going to be works a lot better for me than Chewbacca huh well that's too long I'm not going to say that every time we're gonna have to think of something shorter to call you yeah you know yeah 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, Star Trek is a little, because this is not actually the history of what happens. They're allowed to play with it a little bit, and I think that right. that's, um, he's only called Bones in TOS the TV series because it's a shorthand for Bone Saw. Um, oh, so really? I don't he, think I even knew that. Yeah, so they they kind of they, this is a unique bit of information only in the Kelvin universe. It seems. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it works. I like that. Which, uh, well, I guess that because he would be dating after the split, so I, I guess that the timeline split there wouldn't actually make a difference. Um, I, the I was going to say the other winkiest thing that I really don't like is Sulu with his sword. <laughs> oh, that sword is ridiculous! Like there's <laughs> there's a few there's some things in this that that definitely do feel more Star Wars than Star Trek, and that sword is a hundred percent one of them. Yeah, he's a fencer, like, but hell? he's got this transformer sword. Yeah, what the hell is that thing? Like I I don't know. That, I mean, because that one's awkward to me because he volunteers for advanced hand-to-hand combats, and then they stick in a character trait that you know from TOS, that Sulu has the sword thing. He was in that episode with his, his fencing sword. Um, yeah. Yeah, that that feels that that feels a little bit strange. That, that sequence is kind of awkward to me, mostly because I think if there's one thing, the, the, probably my least favorite aspect of this movie is that I, I do find the direction and editing to be chaotic to a mm-hmm. fault almost a lot of the time um it's that thing of like just let us see the ships sometimes and some, mm. sometimes it looks really good but I, I think that the way that they shoot space combat and stuff is kind of like you'd like those shots but you'd also like a little bit more of like an establishment of what things look like and the action sequences especially on the uh, the digging drill are like really high energy chaotic a lot of fast camera movements mm-hmm. and stuff like mm-hmm. that and not that it's necessarily bad, but it feels it feels very generically actiony of this era of the past two yeah. decades of movie making that we've seen in a way that's like, there right, it doesn't really do anything for me. Um, I don't really buy that Star Trek people fight like this. Kind of like it feels like the wrong franchise to do that stuff. Maybe Transformers would be fine or something, but it feels it feels a little bit generic and uninteresting. Yeah, I I I, I felt the the style, not the the look of it so much but the camera style to be uh to feel kind of dated in a lot of places always it's, moving it's, camera is constantly moving yeah. spinning around and people. like uh the first place it stood out to me was the scene with kirk and pike at the bar when they're talking after he, after the bar fight and they're doing like the 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 shaky cam thing while they're having like this quiet conversation and i was like I, man i forgot that this was like every movie for five years did this yeah yeah I don't, and it's just it's just such a they there's no reason why you need to go like cinema verite handheld to do this <laughs> quiet quiet sequence where Kirk talks to Pike about you know his dad. what it means to join Starfleet and his dad's legacy and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I because people always bring up the uh, the lens flare as an issue, mm. but I, I like the lens flare because I think I, they look great. Yeah. I think it, it fits the atmosphere of the series really. Like yeah. you're either in space and you have a star in the distance or you're on this bright, shiny bridge where all the reflections are coming at you. And mm-hmm. it, it feels like it's a lived in thing. It doesn't really bother me. It's I'm much more bothered by the camera work that goes yeah. on. Yeah. And they, they do that thing that I feel like they don't do it much anymore. Uh, but there was like a period of maybe three years where they started doing this quite a bit. The, artificial cgi zoom mm-hmm. where like you're in a you're in a, a really deep long shot of like the ship flying by the sun or something and then they do this computer rack focus where you go zoom in and like super close and focus in on whatever the small thing is and it's a weird it's a weird 
um, artificial effect that showed up in a lot of stuff around this time. Like they did it a lot in the the, the Zack Snyder Superman movie, mm-hmm. and I feel like at the time it felt really novel, but it felt it. I feel like it got old really quickly because I don't feel like anybody really does it anymore. Yeah, yeah. I always think of it as a looking through a scope or something. They have to do it because they have so much effects around the image of what they're zooming on that they have to do mm. it. But yeah, I, I don't know why they would do it. Just obviously because they're working in such an artificial environment, I guess. Um, well, it's, a, it's a nice way to... It's it's an interesting way to show like the scope of something, but then also zero in on, a, on what the main point of it is. Right. Um, like the, it's the kind of, you would do that kind of thing normally with a camera, but it just feels really odd. I don't know if it's, I don't know. It just, if it's a very odd effect. I like the, um, one thing I've been thinking in context of discovery is I think that they did a pretty good job in these movies of, um, matching, but updating the look of TOS. Uh, Mm. like, I think that the ship designs in this are really good. They look new and they look different. I love the Enterprise in this movie. I think it looks great. Yeah, the Enterprise looks good. I notice it with the um, the shuttles. The shuttles look very much like TOS shuttles, but they look updated. Mm. And they look yeah, like they belong yeah. in this universe in a way that I, I don't feel that way with Discovery. I feel like Discovery shuttles don't resemble that uh, look or feel. And I think in general, they did a really good job here. Uh, my one, like they... I don't think cyberpunk is the right thing, but there, there's, a, there's a kind of... The only real problem I have aesthetically is there's a strange or unexpected combination of lo-fi and hi-fi in this that mm. I don't know if I really buy. It goes outside of like the car, but like Kirk riding a motorcycle feels strange when, you know, he's he's clearly making a conscious choice to ride a two-wheeled vehicle when the cops have hovercrafts that they chase around on. Right. And I, I don't really know what that's supposed to say about him. He's just too cool for Starfleet, but he's not too cool for Starfleet because he joins easily. So it's just a... It's a weird combination of the lo-fi and the hi-fi sometimes. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of that, uh, if we could get into the number one thing about this movie that I absolutely hate, mm-hmm. it, uh, can we talk about the stealing of the Mustang sequence with young Kirk? Sure. <laughs> Do you want to lay out, I, lay out your case for why this I is the, the finest uh, scene of cinematic history? I hate it so much. First of all, that car would be like 300 years old. Yep. Um. Secondly, it's just such a, uh, it's, it, I, I don't need a scene where, where, uh, where young Kirk is like, fuck you, Todd, you're not my real dad. <laughs> who and did he steal it from? Do we even know who he's? I believe, I assume uncle? it was his, I, I thought it was like his mother's new husband or something. Oh, okay. Maybe that makes sense. Yeah. Curiously, you don't uh, see his mother after that. Interesting. Yeah. No. And it, it feels like it's just, it's like uh, uh, an ad exec turning to, the, turning to the person in charge going like, we need a scene that tells people this isn't their daddy Star Trek, or, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's yeah. just, it's the, the music choices over the top. It's, it's he, a redundant scene. <laughs> he's playing music because, from 1800. It would be like us yeah, driving around to it's uh, like, you know, like It's like if, I, if, if when I was 13 years old, I stole my stepdad's uh, schooner. Uh, a 1500 <laughs> schooner and then like zoomed off listening to Mozart or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's, I find it a very uh, pointless over the top scene that is ultimately redundant, 
because the next scene with Kirk is much, much better of getting, giving you the same information. It's just giving you this, it's this silly, you know, action beat, uh, designed to quote unquote, look cool. That's telling you that, Oh, he's a, he's a rebel and doesn't play by the rules where you get all of that information in the bar scene. Yes. Like you get so much more about him in that bar scene. And if you're looking at the way, you know, between Kirk and Spock, the scenes that they have, right? You've got, <clears throat> excuse me, the introductory scenes, I mean. You've got Kirk, Kirk's birth, which tells you a lot about Kirk, it, oddly enough, in that one great opening sequence, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, very good. And then you've got Spock as a child telling you what you need to know about Spock's upbringing as a child where i vulcan bullies are hilarious to me oh, by the way how they yeah. very they logically like go through their list of ways to provoke them <laughs> which i think is really funny also um that gave a lot to discovery's design of vulcan like discovery basically just aped what this movie looked like for vulcan in terms of what they yeah. they study in like little hollowed out half circles for some reason yeah, yeah. The sweet sweet uh empty emptied out pools that they used to skateboard in. those those kids those kids kind of feel to me like an update that fits in hand in hand with how the Vulcans in general are portrayed. Like, I don't really believe that Vulcan bullies would be that way. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, mm. It I, does. You like ahead, it? Uh, I don't I don't think that I do. It feels a little it feels kind of ham fisted to me. It feels too emotional. Too. Like, I see Vulcan well, bullying as a lot of under-the-breath under comments about each other. And the sure. way that Sarek and Spock talk to each other feels very much like what Vulcan bullying would be. Well, my, my only thing about it that I, I, I kind of like is that they kind of they make the point of saying that Vulcans work to suppress their emotions, which doesn't mean that they don't have them. Yep. It's just that they have chosen to suppress them. So... I would I would believe that that is a learned ability. Sure. So, so young kids as, are not good at it at, to that point. Yeah, yeah, young kids would be not good at it, and that it's, they would be more prone to do acting emotionally. So young Vulcans fighting each other doesn't really bother me. What bothers me is that they play them like older Vulcans, but doing like kids stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's just the the, the dialogue is kind of weird where it's like, hmm, I guess the only logical conclusion is then is that his mother is a whore. You know, yeah. it's <laughs> it's kind of weird. But anyway, so you've got the great scene with, with Kirk being born that gives you a lot of uh, information about the circumstances of his birth. You've got the scene with young Spock where you get into like some of his challenges. Then you've got the older scene with with Kirk where you really get into his character involving the bar fight and the stuff with, with uh, Pike. And then you have older Spock where you get the great scene with his mom. I think I love that scene. I think it's really good. Um, and I really enjoy the scene where he talks to the high council. Uh, and I forget exactly what he says, but he basically tells them to go fuck themselves in a yeah. very Vulcan kind of style. I like that a lot. So you have essentially two scenes for each character that are giving you a lot of information but then you have this outlier of this stupid scene where he steals a car and almost drives it off a cliff for some reason. Yeah. It's and, just yeah. it's just really superfluous. And I know a lot of people, Sean, Sean Murphy and I argue about this all the time because he loves that scene. He likes cars. Um, yeah, I think it's because he drives a Mustang. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think it's – I just think it's superfluous. I think it's silly. And I think it's, it's – uh, not that this movie is perfect. It's not perfect, right? They, they, they're riding a line – 
trying to get stuff done. For every great thing they do, there's a inflated hand sequence, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I take the good with the bad with this one. But if if they had... I, that's one scene I would absolutely remove. Yeah, I think my problem with it is just what I mentioned before. It, it seems like it's making a choice about what Kirk is. It, it's like it's almost yeah. making a Mandalorian statement about Mandalorian doesn't like droids for X reason. So you, right. you watch it going like, why is he driving a car? Like, why... Why is he making this decision? Why does his motorcycle have wheels instead of a hovercraft? Like, what does that mean about Kirk? And I don't think it ends up in the movie meaning anything. It doesn't have anything to say about Kirk's character. But he's the the more important thing is that he's just kind of the semi loose cannon um, guy who's willing to take on threats bigger than himself mm-hmm. type thing. Which and, is all you get all of that in the bar scene. In the bar scene, and it's a much more effective way because it feels more visceral for him to basically fight for. Starfleet officers than it does to jump out of a car in slow motion as it careens off a, a cliff yeah. film in Louise style. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really hate it. And I know, I know the, the only reason it's in there is because they're like, well, we have a kid Spock scene. We should probably have a kid Kirk scene. And you can tell from the kid Kirk scene that they didn't know what to do because yeah. it doesn't, because it's redundant and it doesn't add anything. And it's just there to, to equal the Spock scene. Yeah. You need to, um, Spock's story scenes are designed better there because you can't see one without the other. Like, if you just jumped into uh, Spock declining to go into the Vulcan Academy, you you don't have that scene of explaining, like, uh, why the, he'd be sensitive about his mother to that point. So right. you would just have to assume that, oh, yeah, I guess this guy really likes his mother and doesn't want to see it as a weakness, which isn't really good enough. Uh, Kirk doesn't need that, really, because he doesn't have a backstory that is building in the bar scene he's just he has that same action repeating itself right right um you know and as far as kirk goes um do you like his characterization in this movie i think he's all right i it's tough because when you think of kirk and then you think of movie kirk you have like hundreds of hours of stuff to go off of right Uh, maybe not hundreds but you have at least a hundred hours worth of stuff to go off of between the show and the movies and here, I think, if anything, I think I, you know, it's only three movies that they got, and it's only one movie to this point that you've had with these characters. I never feel like I really settle in with any of the characters in this movie. Um, they never they never have a conference room scene, really. They do. They have one or two, but it never feels, and I really like those moments where it's a lot of, like, Star trek back and forth discussing a problem mm. that they're going to deal with. Mm-hmm. But the movie largely separates the characters, uh, which seems to be a very Abrams thing to do. He likes to separate them. Um, but I think that Star Trek, Star Trek largely functions as a franchise by playing those character characterizations off of each other. And I don't know if they do it enough here for me to really feel great about any of them, Kirk included. He feels he feels like the veneer of Kirk but I'm not really sure I ever get under his skin to figure out what he actually is. Yeah. I, uh, I, the first time I saw this, I didn't really like the characterization of Kirk because as we learned from when we were going through TOS, uh, Kirk is not quite the horned up Lothario that everybody makes him out to be. Yeah. And so this movie feels like that they created a version of Kirk that was based on the the public or the popular conception of who Kirk was and not what his character actually was. 
I guess to be fair, he's a, he's a mid twenties version of. That's Kirk. what I was just gonna say. Yeah, yeah. I, and I on subsequent watches, I've been like, no, it makes sense that he would be more uh, horned up and more on uh, more of a loose cannon. College at kid, this point, a, a college yeah. kid at this point in his career. Yeah, yeah, he's not. He's not. He hasn't been the captain of a ship for five years. He's he's done. This is like how he gets the ship. Uh, so it makes more sense to me, and, and and in the subsequent movies, he's a lot more toned down. Yeah, um, I can't. I'm really looking forward to talking about the third one because, for all of its faults, I think it's probably the most Star Trek out of the three of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think what I, you know, I, I, I'm on. I'm definitely agree with what you're saying, where you don't really get to spend enough time with everybody to really settle in, but what I do like about the way that they handle each one of these characters is. You get like you're right. It it very much is like this is the first the first story in a in hopefully a franchise worth of stories. Um, but what I like that they do is they they everybody who gets introduced has a fairly sizable amount of stuff to do. Yeah, they have a, they have a task uh, that goes on. Yeah, yeah. Uhura kind of gets the short end of the stick, but even she ha- is more is fairly prominent starting earlier in the movie but like it's not like Chekhov just swivels around in his chair and says hi guys I'm Chekhov and then he's just there for the rest of the movie he's actually doing stuff uh Sulu is doing stuff Sulu's more active in this movie than he probably was across 10 movies and three seasons of the show yep um Bones has stuff to do Uh, Pike Pike isn't Pike Pike Pike's a fairly forgotten member of this movie series yeah 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 um Scotty has stuff to do. So they, they, they make sure they are all part of the story. And so they are kind of uh, spread out at the beginning. Uh, but I think, it, I think it works for me how, that they're doing that because they end up together at the end. And you don't, get, you don't get that, like, you know, camera spinning around the United Avengers before they fight off Loki, you know, put, or whatever. But you, that's kind of what the final sequence is on the Enterprise, I guess. But yeah, yeah. you do get a kind of... A, a fairly subtle version of that, which is a shot that I really like, where um, they're debating what to do about uh, it's after Spock has been taken off the bridge, and they're debating what to do. And Spock comes back, and you've got all, the whole cast is all standing there, and they're actually very nicely blocked. So it's like a really nice shot of the entire Enterprise crew. And then Spock comes in, and they kind of talk to Spock, and then Spock crosses into their their zone mm-hmm. as though he's like finishing the completing the set. And I, I always I always liked that little sequence, and I thought that was kind of like you know that's when your crew comes together. From that point, obviously they've got other stuff to do, but uh, up until that point, or I should say, um, that's the point where everybody kind of you know all the all the threads tie together with that crew for the first time. Yeah, it's it's, it's surprisingly subtle. Like they, there's no moment at that point in the movie where it's like everybody gets on their on their stations and then they do like a you know like I said the Avengers thing around the bridge as Kirk is in the seat you know they don't yeah. do that yeah right, Kirk uh, Spock why don't you come over stand over here I think that'll look a lot yeah. nicer yeah I um it's tough because I think you have to you have to grade these movies as their own independent um thing and i think comparing them to the original series or the original series movies isn't really what they're uh designed yeah. for or what is like right. fair to do to them i j- i think that the pace of the movie and the pace of the way that abrams does things 
doesn't really lend it a lot to providing a kind of characterization that the older movies had. Like it's a, you know, when they're, when they're doing information, they're like very aggressively walking and talking somewhere. Like when Pike right, is telling right. them what's going to go on is he's going to go off to the shuttle. It's a lot, They're basically like at like a light run as they're like chasing behind him. Mm. And the whole, the the pace of the entire movie is that, fast like it, it feels like it never really has a chance to slow down and let people sit and do stuff like there's never a um weird scene from uh the motion picture where they just kind of sit in short sleeve shirts and have a drink and stare at right. each other awkwardly like it doesn't right. it doesn't have any time to do any of that so if you're gauging it as a star trek thing i think that it falls short of what i would say is kind of a star trekky tone but in terms of this movie and I don't know how well this movie will really age because it feels very much of an era. And mm. the biggest surprise to me was like, I feel like we've gone past origin stories in a lot of ways. Like movies mm. no longer feel the need to do origin stories because they're all kind of similar to each other. Right. Uh, the the Marvel movies have now, and with Spider-Man and stuff, have like moved past that. But here, it felt a little bit old to have like a true origin story where you see a young guy grow into something else and you see how everyone comes together instead of meeting right in the middle and knowing the setup for it and then advancing from that point on. How would... Okay, let's say they reboot Star Trek again, right? Uh, would you prefer if the first rebooted Star Trek... I mean, okay, I guess this is unfair because we already had... This is the origin movie, but let's pretend this movie didn't exist. And they're going to reboot Star Trek. We're back in 2009. Would you prefer if they were just like, all right, we're just going to reboot Star Trek. So everybody's going to be on the ship. Everything's going to be fully formed. We're just going to tell a Star Trek story. I think that's the better way to do it. Um, I mean, because I guess it depends on like what you think the point of the movie. Like this is, I wouldn't say that this is really... This this is an action blockbuster in the sense that I don't know I don't feel there's a tremendous amount going on underneath the hood. You know, it's like mm-hmm. it's fairly mm-hmm. simple and fairly uh on the surface as to what's going on. I think I would reboot it and just show the cast. This one's kind of a unique case though because the the rebooting it has changed things. So you kind of have to show why things have changed that way, which is maybe why it, its function as an origin story doesn't really bother me because it's not yeah. like it's not telling me the Spider-Man story where it's like, all right, this is where Peter Parker gets bitten by the spider, and then he's going to have a half right. an hour of figuring out his powers. This right, is right. me looking at it as a Star Trek fan saying, oh, these are the differences that they're setting up. So this is what I have to look for in the characters going forward. Right. This is why they're different. Yeah, I think I think they made the right choice with this because um, I I think establishing establishing that other that this was a, a separate universe more or less is essential to having this go over at all with Star Trek fans. Yeah. Because if they had just been like, no, we're just going to, we're going to do a Star Trek movie and it's going to be the original characters just, you know, with different actors playing them in the same universe, then all you're doing there is inviting criticism. Yes. Yeah. Um, So I I think in this case, they did make the right decision. And I think this is a lot more interesting than um, uh, I had read somewhere that they were planning on doing like Kirk. It's funny how these things shake out when you hear about like what had been planned and what they, what they turned into. Cause I had originally heard that they were going to do a Kirk and Spock at the Academy movie. Like that's it. Yeah. Like that was going to be the story. And I was like, Ugh, who, who gives a shit? I don't, yes. I don't care about that, but you do get some of that. 
at the beginning leading into, okay, this is Star Trek. The same way like uh, with the X-Men movies, after the third X-Men movie, they were like, okay, we're going to do a Wolverine movie, and they did that, and it was terrible. And then around that time, they were saying, like, oh, we're going to do this Magneto movie, this Magneto origin movie, where he's like hunting Nazis or something like that after the Second World War. And it's like, eh, uh, I don't know if I really want a whole movie about Magneto. Yeah. And then they make X-Men First Class that has a subplot about Magneto hunting Nazis, and you're like, oh, shit, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's and, the best sequence in the movie. Yeah, but they give you, like, just enough of it to really make it work, but, like, do I really want to watch Magneto hunting Nazis? Yeah, some stories like, work as B-plots, or Argentina. not even a yeah, B-plot. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. But they, so it's like a good kernel of an idea that someone is like, let's turn that into a movie, and then someone who has a little bit more sense goes, what if we keep that idea and put it into whatever the next thing we do is? Yeah. You know... I guess, I guess for for what this movie was doing I um I think I now approach it as it's interesting where where they came down on it is kind of right down the middle of them trying to appease old fans and bring new fans into something that they can be there from the start and not need to have all this baggage that comes in with it Sure sure I I think if I have a criticism now of it I think maybe they don't push it far enough and that's purely like an artistic thing as opposed like i think what they did here is the smart business move for how Mm -hmm. they're going to make this movie i think if you were if you were in a world where you were truly seeing this as a separate take and separate universe from the prime universe i feel the differences should be played up a little bit more i think they do the best job with spock of doing that but i feel Mm -hmm. like i would i would redefine kirk's character a little bit more because he's he's pretty much Kirk from the original series in this one. Bones is kind of the same character. Um, I just feel that like they did a really good job with defining... They subtly tweaked the Vulcans to show why their emotions are actually a handicap for them Mm -hmm. in a way that Mm -hmm. I don't think they ever did before. And I would have been all for more of that kind of stuff. Like if you slightly tweak the relationship between Vulcan and Earth or something, or if you add some kind of like little wrinkle into what Starfleet's mission is in this universe or something like that... I would have liked yeah. that to be – this is the safe way to do it. But I think personally, if I were to redo them, that's probably what I would do. That would be my pitch. Yeah. The one thing that I, I was actually looking for on rewatch is the representation of Starfleet because it. I think over time, Starfleet has become analogous to the army. Mm-hmm. And that's not what Starfleet is. Starfleet is, I mean, they've got, they obviously have defense and offense capabilities, but their point is not to be, you know, we're we're not exploring worlds uh, where no one has gone before in order to shoot them. You know, it's it's a, they're a fairly peaceful organization. And I was, I was worried on rewatch that the version of Starfleet was going to be too militarized, like it was going to read more like starship troopers than star trek but mm-hmm. i don't think it does i think they ride the line fairly well yeah where like the the pitch that pike gives kirk about joining starfleet was i couldn't remember all of it so i was worried that that was going to be where they give you the be all you can be thing and they kind of do but not in the same 
not in that sort of uh, not in a military sort of style, you know. Yeah, it's more about um, self sacrifice, really. It's yeah, like if you yeah. can do half of what your father did in twelve minutes, then your life is a su- uh, success. And his father's thing was saving lives as opposed to some kind of offensive that was going on. Right, w- which I think, man, that I love that lo- those two lines where he's like, "Your father was a starship captain for twelve minutes. He saved thirty thousand people. I yep. dare you to do better." I, that's such a great line. Yep. Yeah, yeah. They, I, I, Pike, Pike is great in this. I, I really like Pike, and I never cared about Pike before. But between this Pike and Anson, uh, Mount's, Pike. Anson Mount's Pike, he he's what, like top three of my favorite captains. I think. Yeah, he's he's good. He's he's an interesting captain because he's he's unimportant enough where you can drastically change him in each version of the franchise. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. And he, he he works, and he he's not shackled to prior expectations in the way that the other characters are. Like because. You know, even even a moderate Star Trek fan probably couldn't tell you that much about Pike going into right. movies like this. So you, you have a little uh, latitude to play with him. And they get him into a wheelchair a lot more gracefully than having him touch a time crystal. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, I did. Uh, one of my favorite little, little nods and details was um, his Admiral uniform at the end looks exactly like this the motion picture uniforms oh nice yeah that i think i I think anyway it's that that two-tone gray and white suit it looks it looks really cool i like it well let's wrap it up there i guess you want to have uh do you have any final thoughts about this one um yes go ahead red red matter what is it they (laughs) never explain what the hell it is that scene the scene where spock mind melds with with kirk he just nonchalantly says I uh, I had this red matter in my ship, and I used it to create a black hole. He never says red matter being X, or Kirk is never like, red matter, what is that? Right. It's just this amorphous thing that can cause this thing. It's like a time orb, essentially. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know if I want an answer. Like, I don't think getting an answer makes it any better, but not having an answer kind of makes it feel like the plot device that it is. The only... The only thing I think about the red matter is when um when they're preparing it right to show you the sheer power of red matter they take like a little yeah. tiny drop and then it makes a huge black hole Spock's entire ship supply blows up at the end so I'm 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 imagining the black hole they created is like galaxy consuming Oh yeah. yeah I was thinking that too like if you blow up all of that shit at the same time you're you know probably create like your own pocket universe or something Right <laughs> It splits off all the uh, the Star Trek spinoffs at that point. Come from Spock's gigantic supply of red matter. Going, yeah, it's um, it's a yeah, it's just a uh, MacGuffin, I suppose, and it does its job, and it's good for swallowing stars. I mean, the other funny thing is that um, they don't really explain why Spock was late to stop the supernova. You know, yeah, he's just he's just on his way, and it happened, and there and yeah, I think. The implication is not that he was late; it's just that it happened earlier than he thought it was going to happen. It's it's funny because from Nero's perspective, you would expect you'd have expected the red matter experiment to somehow be responsible for also destroying Romulus instead of yes, yeah. N- Nero overreacting to Spock getting a haircut on the way there feels yes. it feels appropriate, but it doesn't feel like it feels slightly less dramatic than you're expecting from a Nero character. Yeah, it's it's tough though because it's like. Uh, your two options are either, I mean, you have to have Nero blame Spock, and I think you can, you can hand wave that being like, he's going to blame him because he's the guy involved. He probably didn't, Nero doesn't know exactly what Spock did or didn't do, so he can probably very easily connect A and B and put in, put all of his anger towards Spock. The, but on Spock's end, it's either 
the supernova happens too early or Spock accidentally destroys Romulus. Well, I mean... I yeah, don't I think, you, think that they're going to do that. You can combine them, right? Like, so Spock is heading towards the supernova, and he sees that it happens early. He has to launch the red matter so close to Romulus to stop it that it accidentally destroys Romulus too. Like, in yeah, in, in order to save the rest of the planets in the system or something, he makes that decision to do that. And Nero, at that point, I think feels justified in what he's doing. It's it's just a it's such a, a like. It's interesting in the movie just because they really don't explain it. Spock's just like, yeah, I got there too late. Like there was nothing yeah. I could really do. Well, yeah, I think it's I think it's just a I think it's a matter of I, I don't disagree. I think they could have done that, but it's like then you have prime Spock with this fucking weight on his shoulder that he accidentally destroyed all or accidentally or even darker, intentionally, yeah. knowing it was gonna happen, Trolley wiped problem. out all of yeah. Romulus. Yeah. You know, yeah. And it's I don't think this is the movie to get into that, unfortunately. And if they had gotten into it and then just kind of mentioned it in that mind meld, I think you'd come away going like, wait, Spock killed everybody on Romulus? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's true because maybe I'm looking at it as that's the thing Excuse that's me. missing for me. Like some sort sure. of uh, deeper conflict going on uh, between Spock and everyone else. And maybe you somehow thematically tie that into what is going on in Vulcan and the Skeleton yeah, Universe. Yeah, I think- but- I think I think there's probably room for something like that because yeah, Spock Prime Spock ultimately is just an exposition machine, right? Yeah, who's he, and, he's just stuck in this universe too after this, right? So he yeah. yeah he just goes at some point in his life he just falls into the Kelvin universe and is stuck there. Yeah, God, I can't wait to talk about how much I hate the way they use him in the next one. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think if you took the if you wanted to break it a little bit more. Having Spock, having the stuff that he tells Kirk have that sort of emotional hook to it where it's like something that I did or uh, something that happened I feel responsible for, which is why you need to do this so you can learn from my mistakes or something like that, Yeah, I think probably has a little bit more weight to it than just him being like, hey, I'm from a different universe. Let's explain how we all got here. Right. Yeah. Good to see you again, Jim. Yeah, yeah. Um, my final thoughts for this one, I suppose, are I, I like this more than I was expecting. I, I, I had the faintest of memories of not really liking the movie. I think it's good. I, I do think it's very prototypical, sort of like it mm. feels like they are just setting up things for it. It feels it feels like a pilot, as I said before. Um, it's the, I, I guess over over the context of the rest of the movies, I'd probably put this somewhere towards like the upper middle of Star Trek movies. Yeah, um, you know, I would say honestly, this is probably my th- third or fourth favorite Star Trek movie. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what what I put. I would put Wrath of Khan, Voyage Home, First Contact, maybe Undiscovered Country ahead of it, yeah. and then maybe this one. So it's 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 somewhere around Undiscovered Country and where I would put it personally. Mm. Yeah, it, I. Of uh, just going off of movies that well, I haven't always had the other ones, but even still, the uh, uh, re- rewatch uh, uh, numbers that I have would put this probably behind. It would probably be Wrath of Khan, First Contact, in this one. It would mm. be my top three, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's an it's an interesting. It's not. It's certainly not bad. It's uh, it's a good way to expand the franchise. I think it's very much. It is very much like the action. Uh, franchise of this although there's surprisingly little action in this movie i guess would be my other big surprise so it's it's not a um 
balls to the wall John Wick type thing that's going mm-hmm. on. It feels much more Star Trekky than that, but it is more action based than a lot of the movies that we're used to or what fans of the series would be expecting, which is probably where that criticism comes from. But I think it's a perfectly fine, serviceable J.J. Abrams style update of Star Trek, and we'll see where it goes with the movies after it. But it feels um, it feels like it's definitely leading towards something else, as opposed to standing on its own as its own little story. At least in my the way that I view, in my opinion, of it. Yeah, it's making me realize the cliche is fairly true about J.J. Uh, Abrams is who you want to revitalize your property, but he's not the one you want to continue it. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I, again, I, I thought the second, the next one was terrible. Does Abrams um, do, does Abrams, who, who directs the third as well? Uh, Justin Lin. Oh, that's right. It's the uh, Fast and Furious thing. So J- yeah. Abrams does the second one. Yeah. And you know, just to kind of circle back for a quick second about you were saying how you wish they pushed things even further with making things different. Uh, when it was coming up, cause this, I think this movie did what it needed to do. It got Star Trek back into the zeitgeist. It got younger people into it. Um, it kind of revitalized the franchise, albeit fairly briefly. Mm. Um, cause by the third one, I feel like it's, it, it the second one kind of killed it. And then the third one kind of like, it sort of limped across the finish line a bit. Yeah. Yep. And I was really surprised in the third one that they didn't swing for the fence a little bit more. And I know that the second one kind of was arguably when they swung for the fence and it, they ended up striking out in my opinion anyway. Yeah. Um, but like, as far as pushing it further, I don't know why, like if it was me, if it was like, okay, the second, second Star Trek movie, we did the con thing. Didn't really work. People didn't really buy it. What are we going to do next? I would say like all bets are off, man. You've created a new universe. Bring in fucking Q or the Borg or something, something that no one's seen before. Kirk versus the Borg. No one's seen that ever. Right. I would love to see that. Yeah. You know, some something like that. Bring in uh, the Cardassians or something. Do something that that would be like a, a a marquee event that would be like, oh shit, I've never seen that before. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where my thing about pushing it a little bit harder would come from. Um, and I think that the the problems that we'll get into in the second one have to do with the the series being the the franchise of these new movies being unsure of how far you can actually take it from Star Trek, what is known as Star Trek. Right. Um, Khan is the yeah. best example of that, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's, I think it's it. I, I think that they also, I think the movies did suffer. The reason you could get six movies out of the original cast is, I think, because the TV show existed. You know, mm. like you, yeah. I don't, I don't feel that. Even across the three movies of these, I ever really feel like I like I'm in with the crew of these of this franchise of this series yeah. of the franchise. They they don't have time to bond in that way, and I think um the new Star Wars Abrams stuff is the same thing. Where the the you know maybe a lot of it is nostalgia of people just know the older original trilogy because they've watched it five billion times over the course of forty years or something. But I I do feel they didn't. Because of Abrams' filmmaking style, you don't get a chance to really sit with characters all that often in it. He likes to move them around. He likes to have action going on. He likes to have things splintering and people going off in different directions. And I feel that the Star Trek movies, because Star Trek is such a franchise that 
is based around the crew relationships. Like people have said it, but like I'm starting to really understand that Star Trek successful franchises are about a group of friends in space, basically hanging right. out. Yes. And yeah. I don't think these movies really enable that strength of the franchise in that way. That would be helpful and would have provided a little bit of staying power. Yeah. And maybe we could talk about this more after the third one. But what's really interesting to me is whether or not um, they decide. I mean, because after a certain point, it feels like these guys are done. Uh, maybe they get one more. Maybe they don't. It's not looking good. Yep. But if you're going to do enough, if you're going to try and do Star Trek again, do you recast the next generation characters? Is that the next step? Is that you, let's say, okay, we're going to continue with the Kelvin timeline, but we're doing TNG now. I wouldn't do that. I would go different. It's like the I think it's the only thing you can do to get a movie out of it. Probably. They would they would see it as the only like I think your other option is you give it to Tarantino and he does something new with it. Right. They're, they're not yes. doing that at this point, but that would be the way that you would save it or not save it, but the, the only way to do something totally different is to give it to somebody that everyone goes like, "Well, I, I can't wait to see what he comes up with, he or she comes right. up with." Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. All right. Thank you very much, guys, for listening. If you enjoyed the content, you can support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file. It's much appreciated. A couple dollars a month. Get you extra stuff like podcasts and videos and blah, 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 all that stuff. And also, our Captain Tier gets a very special shout out, which I will do in a second as soon as this thing loads. Special thanks goes to Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Captain Cork, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Michaels, Christian Pouch, Darth Moss, David Beardmore, David K, Dwayne Hackett, Eric Johnson, HH28, Yarpy, Jeffrey Koch, Joint Mango, Jordan Cooper, Kevin Reyes, Cal Barrett, Matt Courier, Six, Matthew Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Elliott, Samuel Custer, Grim Santos, Sean Spinobi, Tark Latif, Tom Howes, Vault 13 Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much for supporting the show. All the social media links are down below. All that stuff. The Star Trek podcast continues as normal. Clay, do you have any updates, any new information? Uh, we got the Rotten Horror Picture Show starting pretty soon, which is a horror movie podcast with me and Amanda, who joined us on Real Ripe and Real Rotten for Wes Craven. Uh, and it should be, I think the, the introduction episode will be going up pretty soon. And, uh, I think maybe, pro- a couple yeah, more probably weeks. just post right at the day or so after this one, I think is probably when it's going to appear mid midweek of whenever this Star Trek comes out. Yeah. And then I think our first episode will be probably shortly after that. So pretty soon. Yep. I think that's it guys. Thank you very much. You can also support the show by going to the T public store. If you want to buy a shirt or something, I should plug that more often than I do. There are shirts. There's a link down below. You can follow it. I think that's pretty much it. Everything else continues as normal. Star Trek Picard comes soon. I think we're going to finish these movies before then, so we should have all the Kelvin movies out of the way. Cool. And then Picard will start, and then uh, we'll let you know how it goes. So, thank you very much for listening. See you later.